Picture this, you're sitting down to watch a live poetry performance. The first poet takes the stage, and as they begin to read, they're accompanied by a live jazz band. If this sounds intriguing, well, you're in luck. International Jazz Poetry Month returns to Pittsburgh on May 2nd. The festival features more than 50 artists, including local jazz icons and poets from Algeria, Cuba, Sudan, and Ukraine. Tickets to watch online or in person at City of Asylum's home on the north side are free. Get yours at cityofasylum.org before they're gone. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh. Oh my gosh! Thank you, Allegheny County! We have new leadership. Former legislator and Democrat Sarah Inamorato is our new county executive elect. And she wasn't the only one celebrating last night. We're bringing you some of the region's biggest election night results, a certain judgeship, and yes, district attorney, and what it could all mean for Allegheny County. It's Wednesday, November 8th. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh is talking about. I am here recording this around midnight on election night with Kim Lyons, editor of the Pennsylvania Capital Star. Good night, Kim. It's been it's been a wild one. Yes, we're just getting started. It's not good night, winding good down. Morning. Time of winding up. Good morning. I know. Yes. <laughs> and journalist, consultant, and CityCast contributor, Natalie Bensavanga, thank you so much for being willing to join us at this hour. Oh my gosh, what a night. I'm just so happy it's over and we're here together talking about it. (laughs) We've made the group chat a real thing. It's a podcast now. You both cover issues and policies and people well beyond Pittsburgh, of course. But you were also both Allegheny County voters today. And here we are. We have a new county executive elect, former legislator, Democrat Sarah Inamorato, beat out Republican Joe Rocky. How are you both feeling going into the results tonight? I think I was way more anxious than Kim was. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I thought this is a, this is a no brainer. She's going to do it. We're here. I started getting so many people DMing me that they were saying it's the first time they're ever going to vote for a Republican, that they didn't, you know, trust you her lack of experience. You need to cut those people out of your life. Listen, these are just because I, I, because I post so much. It's like, and then I was getting people telling me that people they knew, right? So there was a lot of anecdotal conversations going on. And I started really thinking, yes, in the past, you're right, this would be a, a cinch, but she is young and she's a woman. And I, I was worried, are we underplaying the ageism and the sexism that we may be not anticipating leading into tonight? And it was closer than I think a lot of people expected, which does make me believe that there was a lot of isms underlying this campaign or this race that there wouldn't have been had she been a man. Yes. What do you What do you guys think? I think that you are responding to something that is it's almost like election PTSD. We're so used to <laughs> yeah. reasons why people won't vote or that they will vote this way because of this bias or that bias that we convince ourselves that someone who is an impressive candidate on their merits can't possibly win. As soon as Sarah and Emma Rado jumped into the race, I said, she's going to win. I just, 
I know she's such an impressive candidate. And I, I felt about her the way I feel about Summer Lee, that she's, she, they're so focused and they know their constituency so well. And they, they stick to these issues that have resonated with people that they connect with and that they care about. And they're very genuine. You know, this isn't a facade for Sarah and Amarato. This is, I mean, Natalie, you remember back when we had a podcast, we had her on very early days, right? And yes. She is. Loved her in those days. Too. Yeah. The broadcast podcast. Yeah. RIP mm-hmm. broadcast podcast. Oh, Megan. Um, but uh, I mean, I guess that's that's a long winded way of saying that she is legitimately who she has been. It resonates with voters and she she didn't do anything major to change that. She's, I think, only expanded on it. And she's an impressive candidate. Well, both candidates positioned themselves as being pretty moderate. You know, Sarah's earlier legislative campaigns, I think, leaned much deeper into her progressive wave and kind of when she took office. Um, but let's look forward a little bit. Um, Natalie, I know you've been talking to her a lot um, on your show for KDKA on Saturdays um, about, you know, kind of what she was hoping to accomplish should she be elected. What do you expect now that she's taken over? It was really interesting chatting with her in that way because it was more of an intimate conversation. It wasn't set up like a debate. So I got to interview both her and Joe Rocky um, on the same day, but not back to back. And what I found a stark contrast between the two of them was the way she talked about building a new Allegheny County for all. Much of what she said tonight in her victory speech, it was mirrored in how we spoke on Saturday because she talked a lot about we. It wasn't so much about me. He talked a lot being he talked about being a change agent, right? She talked about what we're going to do, how we're going to move the county forward. And I think that is generational. I think that speaks to her as a woman in this space. And I think that it's good that she leaned into all of that because I think as as somebody that's been following her career and her trajectory, it has always gone back to what she wants to do for the communities of this region. And that was very much um, mirrored in how she spoke tonight and how she spoke to me on Saturday. And, And Kim's right. She's always been consistent with that. Speaking of tonight, I know you both listened in real time, but there were a few moments in Sarah's victory speech at Mr. Smalls in Millvale that I thought were really telling. Here's Sarah fresh onto the stage making a very big promise. You know, this is a new era of partnership between the city and the county, and I know when we work together, we will deliver great things for people throughout this region. And then here's Pittsburgh Mayor Ed Ganey. He's all fired up. He's also a former legislator. I think people forget that. And he's leaning way in on Sarah's idea. He told the crowd he absolutely wants to tap into their shared connections and her more recent connections in Harrisburg. I'm following him up with Sarah again with an even longer list of very big goals. Because we got bridges to deal with. We got homelessness to deal with. We got violence to deal with. We got a whole lot of things that if we want to get it done, we got to make sure that we got a relationship with the state to make this region great. And that's what Sarah Anna Morano will do. Together, we will create a world-class transit system. Invest in CCAC. Connect our beautiful parks, protect our democracy, care for our seniors, invest in child care, fix our county jail, address the black maternal and infant mortality crisis. We are going to do that and so much more together. Yeah. 
like you said, Kim together. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that resonates with people. I think she she very directly speaks to people who feel like they've been left out of the process, right? She always says, you know, people who are close to the pain should be, you know, should be part of the solution, you know, to, fo- to solving the problem. So, you know, it's a very simple message, but I think it really resonates with voters who don't feel like their government includes them and don't feel like they have a voice a lot of the time. You know, you know, she's got a lot of, of, of expectations here, right? She's got a lot of, uh, of people who are kind of counting on her to follow through on this. So I think that's still the, the to be determined part, but uh, you know, she's, um, She's definitely got a message that resonates with people in Allegheny County. And I think she she knows who her constituency is. I mean, it does resonate. And I understand that. And she's going to now be in charge of one of the most powerful political offices in the entire state of Pennsylvania, a budget of billions of dollars a year and, and you know, touch points on so many things that so many people encounter every day. But is she going to be able to do it if she remains in lockstep with a mayor's office that, for better or worse, has drawn quite a bit of criticism in the last year or two for constituent relations, for getting things done, for just being responsive when people say, hey, we need help? Mayor Ganey shows up at so many things, but I've heard behind the scenes a lot of times, we need more than your presence. We need you to affect change. Do you think a county executive is going to be able to do that if they stay best friends? I think, honestly, that the, a lot of the um, behind-the-scenes chatter about Ed Ganey comes from people who probably voted for Joe Rocky, who have different yeah, interests maybe. than the constituency of Sarah and Amarato. And I think, I think a lot of the of the the criticism of Ganey is is unfair in, in a lot of ways. That that you know he's he inherited a lot of things that he didn't have a whole lot to do with. I, I think I don't think it's fair to call his his mayorship a, a a failure, right? So far, I think I think he's maybe been a little bit slow out of the gate, and that's what people are responding to. But I I don't think having a partner in the Allegheny County Executive's office is a bad thing for the city. I mean, I think if anything, it's going to be beneficial to have someone who can, you know, maybe this is a way for for Ganey to sort of make up some ground that he hasn't been able to cover. That's how I'm sort of looking at that. This is going to be more beneficial to him than detrimental to her, if that makes sense. I agree. And I also look back at, you know, Fitzgerald and Peduto's relationship. And you outgoing know, County Executive end, Ridge Fitzgerald, former mayor Bill Peduto. Yes. Quite thank you. Yes. <laughs> um I know towards the end, you know, things kind of went sideways a little bit for 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 their bromance, mayor yeah. for their bromance. But they had a good run and a lot of benefit came from having a strong um, partnership. And once again, you know, I'm of the school that you catch a lot more bees with honey than vinegar. So why shouldn't we want to be playing nice with as many different spaces? And and Sarah is a relationship builder. And I think sh- having um, out the gate, the support of the city of Pittsburgh is going to be very good for her. But I agree with Kim. I think in the long run, it's going to be better for us. So I say, let's just see what happens. Do you like to dance? Look at beautiful art. 
Eat Gourmet Snacks People Watch will mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins, and so will everyone else there. Be playful, be imaginative, explore your magical realm, because this is a theme party you want to come dressed to impress. You must be 21 and up to attend, and rest assured, every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum, its art, its education, and all of its community outreach initiatives. Get your tickets now to the 25th Mattress Factory Garden Party. They are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. Let's turn now to some other county races. District Attorney, Controller, and Treasurer. So much to talk about tonight. Democrat Corey O'Connor won County Controller, and Democrat Erica Brusselars won County Treasurer. And finally, wait for it, Stephen Zappala has retained his seat for District Attorney. It was such a weird race, this rematch between two Democrats. Is Zapala a Democrat? Like, he well, is he, a I, law and order Democrat. That's what he says. <laughs> law and order Democrat. So if you're not familiar with this one, um, Matt Dugan faced Stephen Zapala in the primary earlier in the spring. Um, Dugan won. and But Stephen Zapala got so many write-in votes from Republicans that he decided to accept the nomination, run again, and it worked. Um, so now what do you think's changed in this second face-off? Enough Republicans rallied around the law and order Democrat? I'm using money. air quotes. Money. Money. Name recognition. And money. Name, I think name recognition, yeah. personally. Yeah. For like, sure, name recognition. As a pala has been in office yeah. for many, many decades. This is actually yeah. the one race tonight that surprised me a little bit. I actually mm-hmm. thought that um, it was going to be tough, even for someone with Zapala's name recognition, to, to have a basically a successful write-in uh, candidacy. It's, it's, it's very rare, as we know. Um, and I thought Dugan ran a really strong campaign. And had so much outside he money. Had a lot of outside money. And I yeah. think maybe, unfortunately, that worked against him because, you know, a lot of the funding for one of the, the PACs that was helping support his advertising uh, came from a donor who's pretty well known in political circles, George Soros, who, do, who donates to a lot of progressive left-leaning causes and is kind of a, 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 it's like a almost like a boogeyman to the right that was mm-hmm. as they hear that name they're like oh he's got Soros money but this was someone you know I talked to Dugan earlier in the spring around the primary when this you know the information was coming out about Soros donating to his campaign he said you know we we really kind of needed the outside help because Zapala was you know people were afraid to speak out against him because he was so you know well known and so entrenched and so it was it was hard to kind of mount a campaign against the guy but I, I don't know that Zapala ran the strongest campaign, I have to say. I think he kind of came to it late. But Zapala didn't... ran a campaign, which is more than it, he has he's done, done. That's right. That's in true. many, that's many true. cycles. Um, and the rhetoric, I thought, was just really strange on this one. If you listen to this show regularly, you've heard us talk about it. A lot of his commercials were criticizing the state of the city, which would make sense if he were the challenger. Right. But he's the one who's been contributing years. to that. 25 years. So you'd But think... he switched parties. So it's like he was Yeah, totally different. Don't forget about all that stuff. Do you expect anything different? And no. I mean, no. genuinely, no. how no. much? Not remotely. Why should he? How much change, though, do you think a DA can reasonably affect? Like, even if it had been Dugan? 
I think a lot. I think a lot because I think, especially around the Allegheny County Jail and conditions there, that has been a very big issue, especially for Bethany Hallam, who run one re-election tonight as the at-large um, Allegheny County um, Council member. She's been very focused on these issues as a formerly incarcerated person herself. It's very, you know, important to her, and she can speak to it in a way that a lot of other people can't. Right. So. That's been a very big issue. I think Matt Dugan had some interesting ideas around that. I think he seemed like more of a team player with other departments in the county. At least that's what, you know, he had sort of, you know, said he was going to do. Uh, I, I think Zapala has no reason to change. What, you know, he just got reelected for, what, the 19,000th time. So why would he change anything? I don't, this is, wasn't really a, a, a wake-up call for him in any way. He managed to eke out the win despite losing the primary. So, you know, he says he's, um, he said in the one debate that he was, he's, even though he was on the Republican ticket, he's still registered as a Democrat and was not asked to change his affiliation. But I don't know. I feel like you, you have, you're beholden now to the party that got you in there. So, you know, I, I don't expect to see any, any significant changes in Zapala. There's absolutely no motivation for him to, to make any changes. The ego is so big here that now with this victory, I think he's going to feel even more emboldened um, in, in however which way he chooses to run things. Do you think that there is a cohesive county takeaway here? Because, you know, Democrats won, of course, but Zapala's piece of it doesn't really feel indicative of a true sweep. I think you're right that it's not a true sweep. However, I do think it shows that Zapala is not infallible. He's got weak points. And I think I hope we see more of Matt Dugan. I think he was a good candidate who shook up the race and, and, and made people talk about you know, things that haven't really been up for discussion for a very long time as far as the DA's office is concerned. But I think it shows that Zapala is vulnerable. And I think, you know, if he has any incentive to make changes, it's to, you know, acknowledge that he his agenda and his, his office has been lacking. Uh, and a lot of people on the left are going to kind of keep pushing that. So, you know, maybe the, the of trying to avoid the annoyance of being constantly prodded about conditions and and, you know, cash bail and issues that, you know, people actually care about that his office has done a poor job of, of managing, you know, maybe that's one area where he might make changes. But I don't know. I, I think if, if anything else, it's, it's shown he's he's not infallible. He's a he's a candidate who's got some vulnerabilities. And the next time around, I, I, I would anticipate, um, you know, if he has another primary challenger, you know, he, he, he almost could... lost the primary last time. Yeah. This time he yeah. did. And he still won the election. Yes. Yeah. So I think now the next logical step is. He'll lose the primary and the general next time. Somehow, I don't know. What's a casual, gosh, nearly 30 years? Natalie, what about you? Do you think there's something to be said about a quote-unquote democratic sweep given Zapala's role in all of this? I actually think there was because Zapala, I still think, is perceived as a Democrat to a lot of people. Because he is one. And yes. Yes. And you're right. But I think, you know, even running as Republican, he won, quote-unquote, on the Republican ticket. But is he perceived that way by the public? No, I don't think so. So even though he's, you know, technically in this case not, I still think in a weird way it kind of is still a sweep of Democrats. <laughs> Before we go, let's talk about some stuff on the state level, the state of Pennsylvania. I feel like one of the biggest races that people were watching was the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Um, Daniel McCaffrey, a Democrat, has won the race for a vacant seat. We talked about this a lot on our Friday News Roundup last week. But Kim, for anyone who missed it, can you remind us why this was such a really important, consequential race? Um, it even got national attention. It got a lot of national attention, a lot of outside money from uh, um, national donors. Um, 
It was important because, not because it was going to flip the balance of the court. You know, right now with the um, the death of Max Baer last year, that's why there's an a open seat on this court, which is mm-hmm. a little unusual. But Democrats have a had a majority. Uh, now four it's to a five, two. It was four to two. Now with with McCaffrey, if if that holds, which it looks like it will, it will be five to two. And so a lot of people are like, well, why is this a big deal? You know, they have a majority because in three years' time, there's going to be um, uh, two years' time. There's going to be three justices whose terms will be up. Um, the de- three Democrats, and so potentially the balance of the court could flip very suddenly, right? And so that means that the the cases before the court, especially one that is before the court now that has not decided on yet, can, uh, which has to do with Medicaid paying for abortions in this state. It's a little more complicated than that, but that's sort of the gist of it. But that I think what's happening is abortion rights advocates are realizing they kind of have to think long term about these seats and about these court, these judicial races that oftentimes we kind of, you know, they get overlooked. They're not as exciting as some of the other races, but they're very consequential when states are the ones deciding abortion law. And there's several other cases before this court that are going to have be consequential as well. And so I think what we're seeing now is the the willingness to look at not just this race, but how this one affects the next one and how having a majority on this court that's really solid is is important because, you know, it, it didn't take very much to get a Supreme Court, United States Supreme Court, that had three justices that were enough to overturn Roe versus Wade. And I think reproductive rights advocates have have learned that very, very hard lesson that Republicans have known for a long time. You've got to play the long game. You've got to be patient. You've got to treat each election as equally important and you have to keep you know abortion rights as it's an important issue to voters it's a motivating issue for voters and you cannot let it drop in any election yeah absolutely and when i when we looked at even tonight you know with sarah inamorato and who was on stage with her the fact that sydney etheridge the you know the ceo of planned parenthood of western pennsylvania was emceeing that to me shows you, you know, this issue is so important um, that the county executive felt like having Sydney there front and center um, was necessary. And I think that sort of trickled down into the the way in which we're looking at all of these races is what are the issues that are getting people out to vote. But I think it's important that we also start building talking points around other issues that matter to progressives and to all people, right? Because I'm hoping at some point, someday, abortion won't be an issue that we have to keep defending every two to four years. Or we could be like our neighbors in Ohio who tonight secured right. access to right. abortion statewide through a voter referendum. Yes. And while we're at it, let's let's legalize that weed like Ohio did. Too, yeah, Ohio. <laughs> after tonight, Ohio, I think I could guys. use some <laughs> weed and abortion. Uh, Well, before we go, any other big final, maybe brief takeaways um, for folks who are listening to this and, you know, kind of taking an exhale after a big election day? Um, I'm going to be interested to see what the turnout was for this election. It looks low, but low for an off year is still normal. Yeah. So a low percentage turnout in an off year is fairly typical. I think this year we might see it. It might be a little bit better than off year elections of the past. I don't think it's going to approach a presidential year um, turnout. But I think that it it felt like there was a little bit more interest in this election for an off year than I've seen in, you know, past odd year elections where, you know, you could see turnout as low as 30 percent. I would be surprised if it was that low for this one. But um, hopefully the trend is moving away from, you know, people seeing 
off-year elections is somehow lesser than presidential years. Natalie, what about you? What are you looking ahead to? Because I know I think you have another date with Sarah coming up this weekend, right? Um, We shall see. I'm hopeful that that happens for sure. But I have to say, I'm kind of in my feelings in the moment, and I'm feeling really proud of the region. It really means something when you see a young woman in a position of power in the state of Pennsylvania like we've never seen before. I get chills, I get excited, and that's get, that gets me hopeful for the future of this country. And I, I think after the month we've all had, a little hope goes a long way right now. Amen to that. Kim Lyons is the editor at the Pennsylvania Capital Star, and you can hear Natalie's show on KDKA AM and FM um, on Saturday afternoons. Thank you both so much for spending a very, very, very late election (laughs) night with us here at CityCast. Happy to do it. Thank you. And if you want to know more about what shook out in Allegheny County or across the Commonwealth, make sure you're subscribed to our Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. We'll have links to stories from all over, digging deeper into all of these races, including from our friends at the Pennsylvania Capital Star. And definitely stick with us in the next few weeks. We've got some more good stuff cooking up for you soon. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Don't forget, if you want to get a drink with the whole CityCast crew, maybe tell us your favorite bike lane story or talk more about the election, come on over to Trace Brewing in Bloomfield. We're going to be in the beer garden tomorrow. That's this Thursday from 5 to 7 p.m. And the first 20 people there are going to get a free drink on us. You will have to show us that you're a Hey Pittsburgh subscriber, or you can sign up right there. Just show it to us right there on your phone. We think it's a pretty fair trade. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk to you soon. I feel like it is important to note that this is a this is a glimpse at a real Western Pennsylvania family dinner table. I did not know until fairly recently that the two of you are actually related. Sister-in-laws. It's true. And you can tell. Let's get this train back on track here.